Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. It simply says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. This text, of course, is a warning. And in the Bible, you you will find many warnings directed to the hearts of men and women. It is, of course, the duty of every true minister of the gospel to warn men and women about their spiritual peril and about their spiritual need. When God called Ezekiel to be a prophet unto the nation of Israel, he said to him, give them warning from me. The apostle Paul testified that in his own ministry at Ephesus, he, quote, ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. If you read the book of Colossians, and we studied it recently, you'll find there that the apostle talked about warning every man and teaching every man. So, from these examples and others that we could find in the Bible, we discover that a faithful preacher is going to be one who warns people, who warns sinners from the Word of God. There's a place in the Old Testament where the direction is given to cry aloud and spare not, and to show men their transgressions and their sins. The word of warning must always be sounded from a gospel pulpit. The Bible is full of warnings, not least in the book of Proverbs, warnings from God to the unsaved. One such warning is found in this particular text. You'll see some similar words back in the first chapter of Proverbs. But this particular verse, Proverbs 29 verse 1, contains this stark warning to people who regularly hear the Word of God. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Here you have the peril of repeated rejection. There are folks who, when they hear the gospel, they reject it, and they hear it again, and they still reject it. And no matter how many times they hear it, it seems that they are found rejecting the Word. Now, here's a message for such. It's a warning from God. It's a very solemn warning. He that being often reproved, someone who hears the Word of God a lot, but hardens his neck against that Word, he's going to suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I just want to present a challenge that the Lord gives to us from these words. It could well be that there's somebody tonight, perhaps someone watching on, or someone who will listen to this message in a future time. And there's a word here for them because they're out of Christ. They've heard the gospel many times. There's no guarantee that they will ever hear it again, but 
Tonight they will hear it. In this message they will hear it. And once again, I just want to present the peril that is involved in rejecting that message. I have several very simple thoughts to pass on from the word here. First of all, the text speaks about successive reproofs. He that being often reproved. There are successive reproofs mentioned here. If you examine the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, particularly in verse number 2, you'll find that there are three aspects in the ministry of a New Testament preacher. Three things that he's called to do. And I remember a preacher much older than myself many, many years ago saying to me, son, that's how young I was, he said, son, two-thirds of this will cause trouble in your church. Look at it. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. It's these three, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, that that brother was speaking to me about. He said, two-thirds of that will cause trouble. When you reprove and when you rebuke. But the true minister of Christ is going to do this. If he's faithful to God and to Scripture, he's going to reprove sin and he's going to reprove the sinner who practices that sin. In Mark chapter 6, we read an account of a faithful preacher who gave a warning to a certain man. Mark chapter 6, verse 18. It's talking about John the Baptist and how that he reproved the king at the time, Herod. The Bible tells us here that Herod had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias's sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Herod had unlawfully taken this woman, his own brother's wife, his sister-in-law, married her. And the Bible says in verse 18, For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Isn't that interesting? John the Baptist preached the law of God. It is not lawful for thee. Says who? Says God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the law he's talking about. It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. It's committing adultery. John was very, very much in danger when he said that. When he reproved that wicked man, he was signing his own death warrant. And so it turned out. There's no such thing as faithful gospel preaching without reproof. Because the gospel message itself rebukes sinful men. And when I say gospel preaching, that includes the preaching of the law of God. Because the law, as Samuel Bolton the Puritan said, 
is the sharp needle that makes way for the golden thread of the gospel. You can't preach the gospel without preaching the law. And if you preach the law only, you're not preaching the gospel. You must have both. You must show sinners their sin, and you must show them the remedy for sin. And here it is, a message of reproof, a true gospel preacher at work. And if you're not saved, the Word of God rebukes you. It condemns you. It shows you as a mirror, this is who you are. It speaks to your sin. And so when a sinner gets really uncomfortable under the sound of the gospel, that's what we call conviction. And it's a great thing to see people under conviction. It's a sad thing to see people hearing the truth and they're totally apathetic towards it. Doesn't mean anything to them, doesn't cost them a thought, but when they tremble under the word, when they are convicted by the word, that's a wonderful thing. In itself, it won't save you. You can be convicted without being converted, but you can't be converted without being convicted. And so if there was no condemnation of sin at all, there would be no conviction. It is a great privilege, whether people know it or not, to be reproved by the gospel. It's an even greater privilege to be reproved repeatedly by the gospel. To hear the gospel once is a great privilege. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of people in this world who have never heard the true gospel of Christ one time. But there are folks who have heard it many times. They're greatly privileged. But they're also in a perilous position. In the mercy of God, all of us, I think, were born in a land of gospel preaching and preachers. I certainly was. There's more preachers per square mile in Ulster, at least there was in a former day, than probably any other place in the world. Protestant Ulster. Evangelical Ulster. And so people have been reproved People have heard the gospel time and time and time again. Sometimes I reflect on this. I could have been born in a land of darkness and heathen paganism. I could have been born somewhere where they had never heard the name of Jesus. But I was born in a city where there are churches in every corner, people giving out tracts, people preaching in the open air, people in your place of work, in your school, wherever it may be, who are believers. We all live in a country of Bibles, in a place of Christian influence to a large degree, though it's waning, no doubt. And it's a blessing to have been so privileged. Many people don't consider it so, but it is. What a blessing, what a privilege to be surrounded by gospel preaching and therefore, to be one who's in a position where you've been repeatedly reproved. You've heard oftentimes the story of Jesus and his love. Many who I know 
even from my own country who are not saved, could preach the gospel sometimes as well as any Christian. They know it. They know the way. While I was in Ulster this time, I had occasion to meet with someone who I had not been with or been around for over 40 years. And that person is not saved. I took the opportunity again to tell that person of their danger and of their need to seek the Lord. One of the last things I said to that person before I left that day when we had lunch was, you know the way. He said, I do. I know it well. I pray the Lord will save him. It's a perilous position to be in, to be reproved over and over again and continue to reject the Lord Jesus. A missionary once asked a question, why should some people hear the gospel twice when others have never even heard it once? It's a good question, that, isn't it? Why should some people hear the gospel twice when others have never even heard it once? Now, that's to do with God's sovereignty. We understand that. But could it not also be down to many Christians who have just not bothered to take the gospel to such people? How gracious the Lord has been. You go back to chapter 1 of Proverbs. I mentioned that at the beginning. The very first chapter talks about this very thing. If you see chapter 1 of Proverbs and you read from verse 20... It says there, wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse in the openings of the gates in the city. She uttereth her words saying, how long ye simple ones will ye love simplicity and the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. There's a warning here to those who have been reproved. He that being often reproved. You know, that could describe many a person here in the United States or where I come from in Ulster. There are people who have been successively reproved in their lifetime. Reproved constantly at home by Christian parents. Perhaps subjected to devotions every day and every night with godly parents having heard the truth time and time and time and time again, as I did as a child, having learned entire swathes of the Bible, passages of Scripture, 
reproved at home by Christian parents, reproved in Sunday school by faithful teachers. I thank God for the Sunday school upbringing that I had. I used to go to two Sunday schools, one on Sunday morning and one in the afternoon. I went to three children's meetings during the week. Oh, it must have been terrible for you kids under all that boring Christian influence. No, it wasn't. We didn't know any better. That's what we did. We learned so much, so much truth, and warned time and time and time again of our need of Christ. Reproved in children's meetings, reproved at work by believers witnessing. You know, it's important to do that. One-on-one evangelism is really important. Sometimes I think it's far more effective than cold turkey calling on people and passing out loads of tracts because you establish relationships with people one-on-one. And many a one has been brought to Christ as a result of that. Used to be a man in my congregation back in Scotland. He emigrated to South Africa. When he was there, he worked a machine on a shop floor. He worked beside a black African. Wasn't exactly the kind of thing that you did in South Africa. He being a white man and his friend being a black man. But this black man was a Christian. And he witnessed to this fellow constantly, continuously. Told him of his need of Christ. Told him that he would go to hell if he wasn't saved. And one day this friend of mine was so under conviction, he had to leave his machine and go to the men's room, of all things. And while he was in the men's room, he lifted his heart to the Lord and got saved. And when he came out of that men's room, apparently his black friend was standing there by the machine, saw him coming toward him, and he said, I know what's happened to you. He said, you're right. I just got saved. How did it happen? Because this man had a burden for his fellow worker. Talked to him about Christ. And he came to the Lord. You're not going to win everybody, but you can win some. Faithful reproof. Reproved by gospel tracts handed out in the street. Despite what I said a moment ago, I'm all for that. Manager one has come to Christ through reading a gospel leaflet. The Sunday school superintendent in my home church was out riding a bicycle one day from the city of Belfast to a a town called Newcastle, about 30 miles away. When he got there, he was kind of tired, parked his bike on the side, leaned it against the wall, and he sat on the curb on the sidewalk. An elderly lady was coming along, passing out tracks well up in her 70s. Apologies to those who are of that age, describing her in that way. But my friend took a tract from this lady, put it in his pocket, and rode back to Belfast. When he got there, he took the tract out of his pocket and began to read it. As a result of reading that tract, he got saved. Faithful reproof. Reproved by the gospel preached in the open air, perhaps. One of our ministers, a good friend of mine, 
used to go play a game that's called snooker. It's kind of like billiards. He did it on a Sunday afternoon. He was godless. But on his way to that snooker hall, he had to pass by a bunch of guys who had an open air meeting on that same spot every week. And he started to try to circumvent that. He tried to avoid hearing that. But he had to go past them at some point to get into that snooker hall. As a result of hearing the gospel, as I understand it, he came to Christ. Faithful reproof. Faithful reproof in church services like this one, or at a special gospel mission, or an evangelistic campaign. Now, there are many people who have experienced all of the above. Sunday school, faithful parents, fellow workers, track distribution, open-air meetings, being witnessed to by an individual, going to church services, sitting in gospel meetings. They've been often reproved, and yet they're still not saved. What a perilous position to be in. And you know, men will answer to God for each and every time they hear the gospel. Because privilege brings responsibility. You know how I know that this is true? Because the Lord said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. He that being often reproved. But as well as the success of reproofs, our text refers to a stubborn response. Hardeneth his neck. People do that, you know, they harden their necks against God and they do it because of their sin. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 puts it like this. Neither is there any creature. That's chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is what happens to people. They harden their necks. And sin, repeated sin, has a way of hardening the heart and the attitudes of the sinner. And sometimes, you know, that hardness can be seen on the countenance or in the face of one who has lived a life of sin. There are people who look way older than they are because of a life of sin. They harden their face against the Lord. Because of repeated sin, their faces have a hard appearance. Ezekiel chapter 2 speaks of that in verses 3 and 4. But their hearts can become hardened as well. And not only are some people sin hardened, they're also, they're also gospel hardened. And that is a terrible position to be in. Because of being often reproved, they've heard the message over and over and over and over again and continually rejected it, and so they become hardened to it. And they're no longer affected by it at all. What a dangerous position to be in. Because each time people like that hear the gospel, 
there's a response in their hearts. Every time a man refuses Christ, he builds another brick of resistance in the wall of his heart, and he becomes harder and harder and harder. That's a dangerous thing, to be hardening your neck against Christ. Now, as you look at this verse, you may think, well, what does that actually mean, hardeneth his neck? It's a phrase borrowed from Eastern agriculture. You see, cattle who would plow the fields used to have a heavy yoke, a wooden yoke placed upon their necks. And you'd have this implement placed on the back of two animals that would be in tandem, walking along, pulling a plow behind. And as they would have this yoke, this heavy yoke on their necks, the animals for a time would resist that uncomfortable yoke placed upon the neck. And oftentimes the animal would would chafe against it and rub his neck against it and beat his head against it. So that through time the skin on his neck would become calloused and hard and all the feeling would be gone out of that part of his body. Hardeneth his neck. That's what takes place in men and women who resist the claims of Christ. They become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. These are such people as may have been under some conviction. They may well have sat in services like this and trembled under the Word and even wept under the Word. And they've been uncomfortable and the tears have come but they've sat repeatedly and heard this over and over again and continued to reject it. So they get to the point where all the feeling is gone and hardness sets in. And I have to say they're as sure of hell as if they were in it. I can never tell when that point has come, but it does come. God said back there in Genesis 6 verse 3, My spirit shall not always strive with man. My spirit shall not always strive with man. And if there's someone listening to this message and you've been doing exactly what I've been talking about, stubbornly rejecting the gospel, you better be really careful. Lest you become hardened. He that hardeneth his neck. There's a stubborn response. And that leads on to the third thing, which is a severe retribution that the text refers to. For those that do this, he says, shall suddenly be destroyed. The one who hardens his heart will be suddenly cut off. It was the patriarch Job who asked the question, who hath hardened himself against him, that's God, and hath prospered? Well, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is in the question. Who has hardened himself against God and prospered? The answer is nobody. No one has ever done that. It's never been to their benefit. And Scripture is replete with illustrations that bear out the truth of what I'm saying here. Think of Pharaoh 
Pharaoh is a great example of warning to people who reject the gospel repeatedly. If I go back in my Bible to the book of Exodus chapter 8, there are a number of verses there that speak about Pharaoh hardening himself against the Lord. Listen, Exodus chapter 8 verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. He realized the judgment wasn't being poured out or the judgment was coming to an end. All the frogs had died and they gathered them up in heaps and the land stank, but then there was respite. The Bible says he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them. That's Moses and Aaron. You go down to verse 19 then. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. This time it's another plague. It's the plague of lice. Again, the same reaction. Then you go down to verse 32. Exodus chapter 8, verse 32. Here again you have swarms of flies. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. So here he is repeatedly hardening himself against the Lord. The judgments of God have not brought him to repentance. They have not brought him to a place where he's willing to turn from his sin. And so then you go to chapter 14 of Exodus. And verse 28, which is a fulfillment of that text in Proverbs 29 and verse 1. Because it says in Exodus 14 and verse 28, And the waters returned, that's the waters of the Red Sea, and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. He hardened his neck over and over again, and he was suddenly destroyed. Cut off often reproved by the Lord through Moses. But he hardened his heart, and retribution came upon him. You see another example of this in 2 Chronicles. In chapter 36, 2 Chronicles 36, from verse 15. There the word of God says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. There's a fulfillment of the text. Shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. God will punish those who harden their necks against him it's a dangerous thing to trifle with God and his word. Judgment and hell are realities. And we would counsel men and women to be wise and to heed God's reproofs. Because you see, there's going to be no remedy if you die without Christ. 
Our late friend, Fred Oaken, used to use this saying all the time. There are no do-overs. You'll have heard him say that. There are no do-overs. This is it. This is it. You die without Christ, it will be forever too late. What a solemn thing that is. Severe retribution. Eternal wrath. But I'm glad that we don't have to leave the message there. Because while it is true that those that are cut off who have had successive reproofs and have never repented and have died like that, they'll suddenly be destroyed, that without remedy. Yet when we think about that word remedy, there is a sure remedy. Oh, there's no healing for sin in eternity for one who dies without Christ. But there is a remedy now. Now there is. While we're in time and not eternity. There's mercy available today. You know, today's a great word. It's a great word. There are no tomorrow promises in the gospel. There are none. They're all today promises. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All God's promises in relation to salvation are for today, not for tomorrow. That's why you can't afford to delay. Tomorrow may be too late. But there's hope today. There's a remedy for sin today. The blood of Christ can cleanse away every sin and every stain today. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. There is a remedy. There is a remedy for sin. It's always a dangerous thing to trifle with the gospel. Not everybody is like this. Years ago in my home church, there was a man, he's now with the Lord. His name was Andy McAllister. Andy used to hear some of the most powerful gospel preaching you could ever have heard in your life. Because he sat under Dr. Paisley for 30 years. Went to church religiously every Sunday for 30 years and still wasn't saved. And used to pray for him regularly in the church. One day, I forget the circumstances, but after sitting under that kind of powerful gospel preaching for 30 years, he finally broke. And the Lord saved him. And he lived for two more years and then went to be with the Lord. And I often think to myself, what a fearful thing. What a fearful thing. What if he had died two years before he did? Having listened to all that gospel preaching, powerful preaching, mighty preaching, but continued to reject the gospel. People who do that are on dangerous ground. They're skating on thin ice. Because there are no guarantees. None. I often hear people say, well, 
when I've lived my life and I've enjoyed the world, then I'll, I'll get right with God. How do you know you will get right with God? Salvation is not like a faucet that you turn on and off. Salvation is of the Lord. You can't just decide on a whim that someday you're going to be a Christian. It doesn't happen like that. Today, if you will hear his voice, that means if you're permitted to hear his voice, harden not your heart. Now, the remedy for sin is clear. It's not the church. Oh, how many people are laboring under that notion. If I join the church, if I am under the umbrella of the church, dare I say it, if I'm a covenant child, then I'll be good to go. I'll be ready for heaven. No, you won't. Not if you haven't been born again, you won't. The church is not the remedy for sin. The sacraments are not the remedy for sin. Living a good life, so-called, is not the remedy for sin. It's Jesus Christ. He is the great physician. But of course, just as it is in life, you will not go to the doctor unless you know that you're sick. Speaking personally, that's definitely me. You'll not go to the doctor unless you feel that there's a reason to do so. And you'll not ask Christ to save you unless you realize that you need to be saved. You admit that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. You've got to take your place as a guilty, hell-deserving, ill-deserving sinner and ask the Lord to save you. And he'll do it. If you come to him, he will save you. There's a great invitation in Revelation 22 and verse 17. It's the last invitation in the Bible. The Spirit and the bride say, come. There's the Holy Spirit and the church together giving this great message. Come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. There was a leper who came to Jesus and he wanted to be healed but he didn't know if he could be and Jesus said to him wilt thou be made clean and he came to be cleansed and the Lord Jesus said I will be thou clean God is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by Christ. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Wouldn't it be an awful thing to be in hell in the caverns of the damned with the words of the gospel ringing in your ears? With the gospel invitations sounding clear in your ears but it's too late one thing I noticed about the rich man in Luke chapter 16 he never once said Father Abraham send Lazarus that he may bring me out of this place he never said that he said send Lazarus to my brethren and tell them to repent they'll listen to him 
because I don't want them to come to this place. He was in hell and it was too late. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Thank God for those who have availed themselves of the remedy, who have come to the great physician. I pray that all who hear my voice, who hear the message of the gospel, will not trifle with eternal things. They'll not trifle with their never-dying souls, but they'll come and put their trust in the Saviour.